Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. We hope that these resources aid your worship of God and help you experience gospel change for all of life. For more information on our church or to plan a visit, please check us out online at SovereignHope.Church. That's SovereignHope.Church. Lord, uh, this is a day that you have made. You have called us here to submit ourselves um, to your word. Um, It's a day where uh, we need to be reminded of your goodness and of your peace. It's a day where uh, you draw near to those who are hurting. It's a day where you instruct us in holiness. And Lord, even in the midst of hearts which are at contention amongst ourselves and amongst our world, uh, your gospel creates a people radically distinct. And so we ask that we here at Sovereign Hope um, today as we listen and as we go out into our city, are a distinct witness. Um, Paul talks about us as the aroma of Christ, even to those who are perishing. And so, Lord, um, though we often stink, may it be a stink that reminds others of you, uh, even in the moments of adversity. We pray all this in your name. Amen. So, uh, you may have noticed in the passage that was just read for us that we're taking a break from our series, working through the Gospel of Luke, and we're doing so to address a specific need in the church um, that is relevant for all of us. It actually impacts each and every one of us. And if you noticed in the passage that was just read for us in 1 Timothy 3, it culminates with this intense doxology. If you're unfamiliar with what doxology is, it's kind of just this uh, joyful worship that springs up out of Paul's writing. Um, And did you notice that? If you missed it, we saw this in 1 Timothy 3, the last couple verses. So Paul is concluding this portion. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the spirit, or in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And so Paul's conclusion here, who does he randomly start talking about? He randomly starts worshiping God in the middle of his letter to Timothy. He's extolling the beauty of Jesus, his witness among the nations. But did you notice what led him there? What often leads you to worship? Those are maybe important questions for us to consider. We actually get a glimpse of what Paul led or what led Paul to worship here. He's worshiping first what we see uh, at the confession of the Christian faith. That's the doctrine of Christianity, what he calls here the mystery of godliness. And what's the mystery? How can people who are so unlike God, so broken in sin, how can we be made righteous? Well, it's through Jesus. The doctrine of the church makes us clean because of Jesus's work. And it led him to worship. But then he locates where this truth is. Where do we talk about? Where do we worship? Where do we give all of our lives to King Jesus? Well, it's in the context of the local church. That's what he's talking about here. It's the engine of his worship. He calls the church the pillar and the buttress of truth. The local church matters. These gathered believers matter because truth matters. And truth matters to the end of what? To the end of Christ being magnified across the globe until he comes back to rescue his church. And in this letter to Timothy, Paul is showing him that what the church behaves like and what the church believes according to God's will is what allows evangelism and worship to flourish. We care about what we do in this space, what we believe in this space, and what we do in this space and every space because we care about worship and evangelism. 
He wants Timothy and therefore us to see how the church declares the gospel. Did you know that even by coming here today, that you are declaring the gospel to a world? Even more so today, you are declaring that giving is not extorted, but the outpouring of all that Jesus has given us. And that it is the most natural thing to give because we have been given the gospel. It is a witness to the watching world that does not make sense unless you see the center of the gospel. But he locates it even more. How can you participate in the proclamation of the gospel through the local church? Well, that's what 1 Timothy 3 is all about. By appointing faithful elders and faithful deacons. There's a lot of things we could do to declare the gospel, but here Paul is focusing on two things in this passage, faithful elders and faithful deacons. And for over a decade, uh, our church, God has been kindly and graciously reforming the office of elder, bringing it in line with how the Bible talks about pastors. And that this canopy of Marshall that you just witnessed today is, is another step in a long line of trying to be more faithful and more God-honoring in that. But we want to bring greater faithfulness and emphasis also to the office of deacon, which we just read about alongside the elders in 1 Timothy 3. And so what we want to do today is we want to cast a biblical vision for deacons in the church. If you're new or visiting here today, uh, we're glad you're here. This might seem like a real dud. Uh, it seems like most, the most exciting things already happened today, and now you'll just kind of tune out for a little bit. But remember, what's, what's, what's at stake here? The global witness of Jesus Christ. What we're reading about, what we're talking about, is leading Paul in worship. It's like the Rocky fight song for his soul. And it's good for us too. And so we want to do this because the church confesses Christ, but what we confess in the gospel shows up in how we live. Paul calls us in Romans 12, he says that in the church, we are individually members of one another. What we believe and how we behave is part of God's witness to the world. So our goal today is to establish this biblical vision of deacons by walking through three points and one application. And the three points are this, is we're going to see a biblical history of deacons. We're going to see the help of deacons. We're going to see the heart of deacons. And lastly, by way of application, we're going to see a call to serve. So we're going to look at the history of deacons, the help of deacons, and their heart, and then a call to serve. And so to begin, let's get into the biblical history of deacons. What in the world is a deacon? For a long time, being a football fan, my only context was for deacons was Deacon Jones, an old football player. Um, But that's not what the Bible's talking about, though it's helpful if you can draft a Deacon Jones. Uh, The title deacon comes from the Greek verb diakoneo. That verb simply means to serve or to attend to something. And that verb has a noun. Someone who who diakoneos, someone who serves, is called a diakonos. That is a servant, the title. They're given the title of deacon. They attend to something. And the Bible uses that term really broadly. For example, in Matthew 23, 13, Jesus says this. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant, your diakonos, your deacon. And while Christians are broadly called to be little s servants, as the New Testament progresses, we see that there's this role of a capital S servant, a capital D deacon who who is formed and who is recognized in the church. And the New Testament talks about this office uh, with some sort of clarity at least four times, but also only four times. And the largest teaching on what a deacon is is found here in 1 Timothy 3. You just read the most robust teaching that God gives to this role in the church. 
And so the Bible doesn't give a ton of specifics on the office, but it does talk about it and does make it important. And that means that churches over the millennia have approached the office of deacon with a humble charity, realizing that God has spoken clearly, but not exhaustively on the subject. And so we humbly try to work in areas where the Bible hasn't made it clear while upholding the places that the Bible has spoken clearly on deacons. And so how we might establish deacons at Sovereign Hope might be different than what another church would establish with deacons, but we do this with charity, and we do this knowing that the Bible itself sets the precedent for this role. And we see this role kind of come up in precedent in Acts chapter 6. And in this passage, the early church is growing under the oversight of the 12 apostles. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended up into heaven and the church is flourishing under the 12 apostles. And this has created a sort of conflict that centers. This is how you know the church is historically Baptist because the conflict centers on a potluck. Okay. And so they're there and everyone's getting their food at the potluck. Um, but a complaint arose. So in the, the, the food distribution system, kind of the welfare service of the church The Greek Christians came to the apostles because their Greek widows were being neglected. So the Jewish Christians were in some way uh, not serving or else hoarding for themselves the food, and they bring this need to the apostles. And this is a relatively tricky issue because they're not only having to think about how they are going to give the logistics of food of this growing church to everyone, but there's also an apparent aspect of greed here and a greed that's motivated potentially by racism. And it would have taken significant time and energy from the apostles to not just fix the issue, but to help the hearts, to get the heart of what's going on. And so look at what the apostles did in Acts chapter six, verses two through six. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. And they prayed and laid their hands on them. So here we see men who are two things, selected by the broader church in Jerusalem, but then commissioned and appointed specifically by the apostles and the elders in this place. And they did it, did you catch it? So that the preaching of the word would continue. Now in this text, we don't see them say, and thus they shall be called deacons. And this is the process of appointing deacons. But as the history of the New Testament develops, we see that this is kind of a pattern that's in place. Within a handful of years, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and this is how he opens this in Philippians 1.1. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. And so by the time Paul is writing to the established church in Philippi, there's kind of one big thing, that there's the saints, The saints are Christian. The saints are not super. The saints are not sinless. Saints are anyone who gets their righteousness through Jesus Christ by faith in him. Do you want to be a saint? Come to Jesus. That's how easy it is. It costs you everything, but you gain everything. But among those saints, 
that make up the church, there are two other categories of individuals. Do you see that? There are the overseers and there are the deacons. And so first there's a distinction between elders and deacons. Biblically speaking, the word elder, the word overseer, are all speaking about the same office, and that is that of pastor. We see all three of those words put together in Acts chapter 20, if you want to look at that. And in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, what was just read for us about Marshall earlier, we learn more about this office. Verse 5 says an overseer is to care for the church. They're to steward this sort of managerial authority over the church. And we never see that kind of authority language ascribed to the deacons. In the book of 1 Peter and in the book of Hebrews, the church is called broadly to submit to the elders. I, as one of our elders, am still called to submit to the rest of the elder board. But we never see the church at large called to give that sort of submission or obedience to the role of deacon. We also see in Titus 1.9 that an elder is a teaching office that they, part of their qualifications is not only to be able to teach the gospel, but to publicly be able to refute, correct, and challenge false doctrine in order to protect the church. Never do we see deacons in the New Testament given such a teaching office. Instead, what we see in 1 Timothy 3 is they're called to simply hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're to be exclusively reliant upon the doctrine that saves them. We also see the office of elder in the New Testament is spoken of as a male-only office. But here in 1 Timothy 3, he's at least talking to the wives of deacons who are at least participating in the ministry of the diaconate. But the Greek word there, and so depending upon what Bible translation you have, it might not say to deacons and their wives, but it might just say, and to the women. Because in Greek, it was the same word um, that the context determined whether it was wives, whether it was a woman. Further in Romans 16.1, Paul writes, recognizing Phoebe as a diakonos, a deacon or a servant in the church. And so while the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that the office of elder is exclusively a male office, it leaves room for the potential of female deacons because it's not a position of authority, nor is it a public position of preaching and teaching. And this is helpful because depending upon where you grew up, perhaps you see the deacon board or the deacons as kind of this checks and balance to the elder office. Like in the U.S., we've got the House and the Senate, and everything's just chaos. Uh, the, 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 the elders exist, and the deacons exist, and they're kind of like competing for influence over the church. That's not the biblical role for it. Instead, even when you look at 1 Timothy 3, Paul is writing with an order. He starts with the elders, and then he goes to the deacons. They're meant to serve under the elders for the purpose of applying specific commissioned care that serves the elders and cares for the church. And so that's where we see elders really being developed in the new, or deacons being developed in the New Testament. But what do deacons do? And this is the million dollar question. What do deacons do? And this is our second point. This is where we're going to look at the help of deacons. Um, Do you guys remember the weird, and look, I was thinking about this this morning. Do you remember the weird infatuation our country went through with duct tape in like the late 90s? They're like duct tape books and duct tape websites. And people were just, was duct tape like a trade secret to those who did like HVAC? And all of a sudden it got out and they're like, you've been using this the whole time? Uh, but we just had this infatuation. The applications of, of duct tape was seemingly endless. I had a guy show up to my high school in duct tape pants. Entirely <laughs> duct tape pants. Now you could do almost anything with duct tape as long as it's, as it's to the end of 
sticking something together. In a lot of ways, that's how the office of deacon is. You can do a lot of things as a servant. You can serve the church in a lot of ways, but there's an end to which everything is working. And there are actually two of these that we see in the New Testament. While deacons can serve broadly, they help by serving in order to produce two distinct things. The first is that deacons' service promote the ministry of the word. Deacons' service produce the ministry of the word. And this is what we saw in the book of Acts. The apostles did a lot of serving up until Acts chapter 6 and do a lot of serving through the rest of Acts. Our elders today are still servants of the church in that same vein. But there often comes a time, like in Acts chapter 6, where the needs of the church are so great that if all the elders did was, in that instance, wait tables, there'd be no one to teach. There'd be no one to instruct. The ministry of the word would suffer. Jesus himself set this precedent, if you remember earlier on in the book of Luke, when he left, he left a place where he was healing many, and he did so because he said he must, he has come to preach the gospel. Service and teaching are both needed in the church, but we have to prioritize that with the giftings God has given. I heard it said once, and this is a really helpful paradigm. He said, elders serve the church by leading, and deacons lead the church by serving. Elders serve the church by leading, and deacons lead the church by serving. And that's because deacons are set up and commissioned by the congregation and the elders to meet specific care needs inside the church so that the church is served by both the hands of the church and the heralds of the church. In this sense, the diaconate is a ministry of the word. It serves so that teaching can abound in the church in almost every context. That's pulpit ministry. That's discipleship. That's counseling. That's missions. They serve an end so that the message of the gospel can be declared to what we see there in verse 16. Among the nations, deacons serve so that the word flourishes. But then secondly, deacon service protects unity in the church. Deacon service protects unity in the church. In this way, they proclaim the beauty of Jesus's service. It adorns the teaching of the gospel by showing how we come together and we love as Jesus has loved. There are a few things more countercultural in our world than someone who excels at service. Our world emphasizes the will and desire of the individual at the cost of the collective whole. But the cross holds that up. And remember, functioning deacons are here tied in 1 Timothy 3.16 to the glorious display of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful aspect of the church. When James and John were arguing with Jesus about who would be the greatest, it was not only the dumbest argument you could ever have, um, but Jesus answered it in a really profound way. Look at what he says in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them and said to him, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. The church is a counter-cultural place. But whoever would be great among you must be your diakonos, your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Nothing divides like people who are unwilling to serve. Nothing unites 
like people who in seeing Jesus as the ultimate deacon, give their lives to the glory of God and the good of one another. Deacons to that are dispensers of care in and among the body. Sometimes deacons see needs and they move towards them. Other times, the congregation or the elders see a need or foresee a need, uh, and they ask the deacons to go serve that on their behalf. And the result is that dissension, bitterness, hostility, and everything else are quelled by the interpersonal care of the deacons. And that's why, as we'll talk about in a little bit, deacons are not just anyone who could serve. Deacons are ambassadors of the gospel. They bring with them not only the tangible service, but they bring with them the way in which Christian service is distinct service. They treat with their hands, but they treat as the hands of Christ. Remember in Acts 6, the seven were commissioned not only to solve the crisis of food, but to actually lean into the issues of racism that plagued the church. The gospel brings people together. Uh, The pastor, Matt Smethurst, calls deacons shock absorbers in the church. And I love that. Anyone who's ever owned a Ford, you know how important that is. And and this analogy is so helpful because we live in Montana. Even though we're in Missoula, we're really fake Montanans. But perhaps you have gone hunting or camping before. That's where you you sleep outside. Um, And and you've done it, and you get to a field um, or there's a campsite, and you know you need to get to the other side, but it's going to be rough and bumpy. You see, the elders of the church, we are, we are white-knuckling by God's grace this big old vehicle, and we look at what's going to happen, and we, if you've been with us in the book of Luke, it's rough terrain ahead. And we're saying, we're going to go. And it's going to get bumpy, but we got to get there. And so the elders, like all of us are together, like just holding onto this wheel, trusting God's grace, and the deacons come, and they're like, hey, but what if we, we tried to like wrap ourselves around these, I don't know cars, is it a strut? Because that's a thing. The thing that, it, that, that the, the shock gets wrapped around. And let's just sit there. Let's absorb some of this tension. Okay? Don't, so when we talk about deacons later, I'm not the auto mechanic deacon. Okay? Um, and so they're like, let's help. Let's bring some peace here. This, there's going to be sin that sprouts up and people need care. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be things that need to be dealt with as we're getting from point A to point B where the roads are flat and translucent as gold and glory. That'll be great. But until then, the elders lead by holding doctrine, moving forward, and deacons come and they're like, let's, let's try and soften the effects of this world by just administering the care and compassion of Jesus. So deacons are not just servants. They are servants like Jesus is a servant. Which is why in 1 Timothy 3.10, Paul says they must be tested first. These servants are publicly held up by the congregation and they're to be assessed, they're to be tested to make sure that they are giving gospel care in gospel ways. And this is why when Paul gives the largest teaching on deacons in the whole New Testament, he doesn't focus on their competency as much as he focuses on their character. Did you notice that? He didn't say you need to know what a strut is, praise the Lord. But he says you need to know what a heart shaped by the gospel looks like. And this is our third point this morning. The heart of deacons. The heart of deacons. We see how they help, but who are they? You see, we love pragmatism in the Western church. We love things that work simply because they work. We love things that go fast. And the principle we often worship is immediate effectiveness, not eternal endurance. We care, does it work right now? 
Who cares how it manifests itself in glory? Does it gather people now? Does it make people feel better now? Then let's do that. And our tendency is when we see the Bible talk about deacons, we get really excited because the deacons can meet lots of real cares in lots of real ways. And we start thinking about the implications it could have on kids' ministry and men's ministry and mercy ministry and facilities. And we're like, hey, this guy or this lady can do it. Let's put them there and let's let them go. Let's just get it done. But the office of deacon is not a pragmatic position. Just because you can see a need doesn't make you a biblically qualified deacon. Just because you can meet a need doesn't make you a biblically qualified deacon. Deacons are servants, but they are exemplary servants. As a local church, we have freedom to give a job description to a deacon, but it's God alone who gives qualifications to a deacon. And those come first and foremost. If you are in media savvy, you've noticed that in the last five years, There are podcasts, documentaries, and books written about pastors who churches overlook moral qualifications because they're good talkers. They gather a crowd. They'd make an excellent CEO. But what happens? It crashes and burns. It hurts the witness of Jesus, and it harms Christians. Don't make the same mistake with deacons. Don't think that just because this person could build the absolute greatest facility that they're deacon qualified because the end of that is going against God's will. It ends in destruction, not in glory. And so Timothy gives this, or Paul gives this to us in first Timothy for our good. This is what he says. What does the heart of a deacon look like? Beginning in verse eight, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the, of the, in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I grew up in the golden era of media marketing and Michael Jordan. And I remember in the nineties, the famous commercial where there's the tune that goes with it and it just says, I want to be like Mike. That's what we wanted. We saw this wonderful picture of Michael Jordan. He was stellar on the basketball court. He was the epitome of what you wanted to be. But as the years went by, we saw Michael Jordan retire. We saw his acceptance speech into the hall of fame. We've seen his documentaries, and we've realized that though he might have been the greatest on the court, off the court, he wasn't the greatest guy. He was bitter. He was jealous. He was petty. He was arrogant. And biblically, deacons are those who not only when they serve, not only when the lights and the cameras are on, but at the eulogy of their funeral, when their documentary airs, we still say, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like Kyle. I want to be like Kim. Not because they were sinless, but because their lives exhibit a pattern of gospel repentance in our own brokenness and gospel servants out of the abundance of Jesus. We want that to be something that is admirable in the deacons because God holds that up as admirable. And so think about it. Look at the list. 
Where do these qualities show up in your life? Are you dignified and well thought of? If someone walked in and saw you serving, would they think the church lets him do that? Are you the one who, when you have friends over, when you go out, you drink a little too much? Not enough to get knocked down drunk, but even enough to make you silly. That's disqualifying. And why is that disqualifying specifically for deacons? Well, it shouldn't be accepted in the church at large, but specifically for deacons, because it's hard to be a servant of others and to God when you're a slave to self. That's why he says, be self-controlled. Are you able to prioritize the service of God and the good of others over the immediate indulgence of your own flesh? If you have a spouse and a family, are you faithful to them? If your teenage son saw you presented as a deacon, would he say, my mom's a shoo-in for that position because I see her care at home all the time. I know her gospel generosity in the house. Dads, if you're leading a construction project of 20 men to accomplish something great and marvelous, but you're not consistently leading your family to prayer and to God's word, that's not befitting the office of a deacon. It starts in the home and in the heart and then is recognized by the church. And we see that because this period of testing that Paul gives to the church is meant to test one specific thing. Did you notice it? Blamelessness. Blamelessness according to these qualifications. In other words, they aren't just saying, did you make sure the coffee was made right? But they're saying, when you were setting it up, did your godly conduct and hope still thrive in public as well as private? Did you endure the weight of this and your holiness didn't suffer? If so, let them serve in this capacity as deacon. That's what Paul says. And serving sanctifies. It really does. If you're somebody who who wrestles with stagnation in the faith, serving is a massive gift from the Lord. Look at how Paul speaks of this again to the church in Philippi, the church who has their elders and their deacons in place. He says this in chapter two. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, or even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our flesh and the world look at service as the most lowly and miserable place, but the church looks at service and they tie it to the glorification of Jesus by submitting himself for the sake of others. Do you wrestle with finding Jesus beautiful sometimes? I often do. Do you feel stuck in your growth as a Christian? Do you feel the cords of sin frequently entangle you? Do you feel discouraged in your walk? Paul is holding up here something that might help. Give yourself to service. See the encouragement. See the affection. See the comfort. See the joy of believing your doctrine. 
Believing the very doctrine that saves you. Do you realize that? We are not saved out of Jesus' obligation. We are saved for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. All Christians are called to be servants because service is the joy of those who are served. But the office of deacon is not for those who are just beginning this, but those who have a habit of seeing the glory of Christ and the joy of the gospel in their life. And this looks, again, weird by worldly standards. What we see in the Bible is that they are called to work under the authority of the elders in service of people who are different than them, subjected to public scrutiny and typified by other oriented care. There's not a long line at the fair booth for this. But you see what Paul holds up for them in 1 Timothy 3.13. He says, for those who serve well as deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Serving as deacons gives you a high standing in the eyes of God and in the church. It comes with the applause of all who have spiritual eyes to see. You join in Hebrews, the wonderful witnesses of the faith who gave their lives over to something bigger than themselves. But more than that, it adds confidence to your walk with Jesus. Why? Because it roots your joy, not in your experience, but in your obedience. You can talk to me afterwards, but one of the greatest things that actually drove me to ministry was service. I hate it. You can ask my parents. No one hated yard work more than me. But God in his mercy gave me the opportunity to do it for a widow. And I was raking. I'm like, this doesn't, this isn't miserable. (laughs) And God used that to be like, no, it's because you're obeying. And there's no greater joy than obeying me. And that's why I'm here today. (laughs) It's because there's nothing greater than obeying God and serving others. The reward of confidence we get by seeing our doctrine proved true is a great reward. With all this said, where are we at in the process of having deacons? Well, this is our last point today. This is our call to serve. We've had deacons at Sovereign Hope, but the elders haven't led them well or consistently. And so it's kind of been this series of starts and stops throughout the years. But by God's grace... We made it through COVID. We made it through church homelessness. We made it through a building fund and remodel without having functional deacons in place. And that's in part because the church stepped up bigly in those years. It's in part to you guys stepping up and serving. It's in part to elders. And I got to witness firsthand both your staff and non-staff elders pour themselves out for you. In God's kindness, he also gave us a blanket of protection during those years. The elders had to deal with some really difficult, weighty things. But in looking back at what existed before and what's happened now, there wasn't as many pastoral needs in that time. What we had was weighty, but God was so kind. He really was. He cared for that so the elders could care for the church and for the preaching of the word. But now, y'all are miserable. No, (laughs) but now we're established in a new building. 
We are growing and ramping up our places of word-based ministry from our residents to we have some women who are learning how to teach women scripture. We've got college students who are hungry for discipleship. We've got community groups coming up. We've got more discipleship and counseling and all these things that are happening. And we have needs from both a pastoral level and a personal level. We need pastoral labor and we need people labor. And that's why we're taking the time to do this now. Because it's not only corrective, it's needed. If God continues by his grace, he doesn't have to, but if he continues to grow our church in size and in a desire for teaching, our current model is not sustainable. And it's not sustainable because it's not biblically faithful. It's no surprise. God has something better for us and we want to align our lives with that. So in order to help us and therefore to help all of us, we want you guys to do three things right now. They all start with P's. Of course they do. We want you to pray. We want you to process. And we want you to pre-authorize. I'll talk about each of those just really briefly here. First, pray. Pray because just as God appoints elders, it is God who sanctifies deacons. We can't appoint or establish any more deacons in the church than God has given to us by his grace. God has given us qualifications And God will qualify people to that. We will not budge on those demands. And here's why. We have some big needs at the church, which will be served well by deacons. God could bring somebody here who meets those needs on a physical level perfectly and would cause it to flourish. But we trust God and his word more than we trust deacons with the church. We trust God in upholding these qualifications more than we trust putting an unqualified person in that role. And so would you join us in praying that God would raise up qualified men and women to serve in some various deacon roles? My guess here is that if you see a gaping hole at the church, it's not because the elders don't see it. It's because we're trying to be faithful with what God has explicitly called us to do as of first importance and the limitations of our own time and capacity. More elders helps with this, but we cannot do it without deacons as well. So pray that we might recognize, nominate, test, and appoint servants to help us in these spaces. Would you join in praying for that? Secondly, would you process with us? Process yourself. Process your fellow members here at the church. As we've seen, deacons are publicly recognized servants within the church. So if you've seen somebody who is consistently and faithfully meeting needs in a space without being asked, while potentially meeting these qualifications, hold that person in mind. Talk to an elder about it. If you think that person is you, then look through this list of requirements. Ask your spouse, your roommate, your community group leader, where are these qualities showing up in your life? Do they think that you might be given as a gift in this specific area? And we want to be a church that's eager to affirm and to applaud what God is growing inside of us. We want to celebrate God's growth because it's a miracle. And we want to think about how they might, that a person who has such gifting might be used as an official deacon in the church. And lastly, we want you to pre-authorize. You know, sometimes you have to pre-authorize your credit card so that we can charge you a million dollars later. Um, We're asking you to do that with service. And we want you to do this because the whole church is called to be servants. When we establish deacons, the need to serve does not end. The facilitation and the execution of it is streamlined, but we are all called to serve. From me down to the bottom of our membership list alphabetically. I don't mean there's a bottom of our our membership list. Zombex, I love you. I don't know where you are, but just because you're Z doesn't mean you're last in my heart. 
we're all called to serve. And we're going to ask all of our members, or if you consider Sovereign Hope your church home, to fill out a, a volunteer service questionnaire. That's the wonderful title we put our minds together for. A volunteer service questionnaire. I'm going to give you the details of how to do that in, in just a moment. But on this questionnaire, we want to get your pre-authorization to say, hey, if there's a need in this area, I would love to serve here as a Christian. And moving forward, when new members apply, this is going to be part of the membership interview at the church. And there are so many places that you can serve here. Let us know if you'd be willing to help move people, if you'd be willing to help a single mom with her kids, maybe taking a son, even hunting. Let us know if you're willing to provide emergency housing. You want to visit the sick. You're able to cook meals for people who have need. Then the list goes on and on and on and on. And here's what we're going to do with this list. Right now, because we don't have functional deacons in place, the elders are going to take this list as a database to help us. When a need arises in the church, instead of just texting, you know, some random people who have already served in that capacity, we want to say, oh, Susan said she'd be willing to do this, and she's never done it before. We're going to reach out and see if Susan can help us by meeting this need. It creates a database of desires and skills which streamline and help us hand it off so that we can continue growing in the word and pastoral care and counseling. And when we get deacons in place, these will kind of be the toolboxes for those deacons. For instance, if we have a deacon of hospitality, um, of which we might have many, we might find out that there's a funeral that needs to happen here. And so they'll go look at this database and they'll say, well, here's a, a selection of guys who said they'd be willing to come help set up tables for special events. And so they reach out to those guys and say, we need, uh, hey, we're looking for three or four. Would you be able to serve? And say, yeah. And so they'd come and do that. And then the deacon of hospitality would go and look and say, hey, there were some other people who said they'd love to come decorate at special events. And so they'll call those and they'll come in and they'll decorate. Or maybe we have a deacon of facility care. And there's something that comes up. Maybe they need to know what a strut is and they don't know. And so what they're going to do is they're going to go and they're going to look at someone who said they know what struts are. That's a distinct line item in the questionnaire. And they'll find the strut people and they'll say, hey, please keep Tyler away. Can you come and do this? And they'll say, yes, I can. And if not, we pray so hard. You see, deacons are lead servants, but they're not exclusive servants. They help mobilize the body in a way that doesn't burn out one or two, but as individually members of one another, we care for one another as God has designed. And so to help us do this sooner rather than later, uh, we have this survey. And so uh, as of today, uh, for those watching online, I think, Daniel, is it on the website right now? So on the website, if you go to the homepage, there's some articles and there's an online form there. If uh, you turn in your bulletin back to the volunteers opportunity page, there's a QR code there. If you know how to work QR codes, just take a picture on your phone and it'll bring you, or you hold your phone up to it. Uh, I'm describing it poorly. Find somebody and they'll teach you how to use it. Um, uh, if, if you uh, struggle with technology, which apparently I do, uh, and you struggle or you don't have an email or something, we have some physical copies available back at the info desk. Please go get it there. If you are able to do it online, it helps us because it automatically imports all of those things so that we don't have to. Um, but if that's easiest for you, we'd love you to please take that. You could fill it out today. You could return it next week. we just like to get that back. But I do want to give some caveats to this list. First, if you are a member or if you're thinking about becoming a member, uh, we want you to do this. Membership here at Sovereign Hope is for those who believe the gospel together, who belong together as a community of faith and who are becoming more Christ-like together. If you want to know more about that, you could actually pick up a membership packet back there. You can come talk to me or to uh, Rob, who is up here today, or any of the other elders you see. And as you'll notice when you go through the list, some of these roles are member-only roles. 
And that's because, because for either safety or security or even accountability, we want to make sure that we know very well um, the people who are serving in those roles. Second, if you're new here, please don't take this. There is no amount of service you could do to earn you credit in heaven besides being served by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The number one thing you need to see today is how Jesus saves you by his work and not by yours. And so if you're new here, even if you believe the gospel, we want to serve you. We want to serve you by giving you witness of the ministry of the word. By, so Johnny uh, hand, or claps together for Kevin and the worship crew. Johnny, who normally leads worship, last night was, is laid up in bed. He's, he's hurting. And so they just yesterday got the signal that like, hey, you're going without Johnny. And they stepped up and served. You're being served by the church. We want to serve you with all we are. And we do that most importantly by holding up Jesus who serves us all. So come to Jesus, serve with us, uh, but don't take this right now. Third, by checking a box on this document, it does not make you a deacon. I want to repeat that. Under no circumstance will anyone fill out this form and write me, Uh, 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 an agitated email three months from now and say, I signed up to be the deacon of security and you didn't do anything, okay? This is not a deacon-making thing. God makes deacons, forms do not, okay? So this is where we are trying to see where you might be able to serve. This is not something that makes deacons. It doesn't nominate you for deacons. Do not think that, okay? Does this nominate anyone for deacon office? No, all right, great, we're good. Uh, However, I will say, if you see someone as you're processing, who you're like, man, this person crushes in all these areas, encourage them to go and check those boxes on their form. Encourage them um, to be uh, involved in that place. And lastly, by checking out this box, this is not an immediate call to meet an immediate need. In other words, if you check something, that doesn't mean we have an immediate position for it. In fact, a lot of these are places where we know we want to grow in. And so we'll do another Q&A. By checking something, does this mean you're going to get a call in the next week and say, hey, we need your help with diaper stations? No, it does not mean that. (laughs) There's no immediate follow-up for this besides we are getting tools to help when needs arise, okay? And so don't be uh, overly anxious. Don't think we passed you over um, in this process. We're just assessing this need right now. But I want to close just here by, by reading something that I thought is really profound Um, from the context of church history. And so this was written in the year 112. There's no four digits, just three digits, the year 112. And it was written by a Roman governor whose name was Pliny. And he was writing to the emperor at that time. And he was writing because Christianity had began to be disruptive in the Roman Empire. People were worshiping a god called Jesus and not the emperor. And so he was writing to the emperor, giving his plans to eradicate the Christians. And he said that he would call Christians before him and he would ask them if they were Christian and if they responded yes, he would kill them. And as he did this and as news got out, there are some who came and they were confessing Christians who under threat of persecution, they cursed Christ. There are other Christians who came and when they heard the weight of it, they said, no, uh, JK, I'm not a Christian. And then there were others who faithfully confessed and were slaughtered. And all of this happened. He wanted to know more because the service, the morals, the virtue, and the worship of this new found, what he calls superstition, were countercultural to everything that stood at the heart of Rome. 
And so he wanted to find out more about this. And he mentions two young women who he took and tortured in order to find out more about their faith. And I want you to notice to how he talks about this, not only these women, but about the superstition they believe. As he writes to the emperor, he says this, these examinations, that's to understand Christianity, made me think it quite necessary to inquire by torments what the truth was. When I did it to two servant maids who were called deaconesses, so female deacons, so he tortured them. But I discovered no more than that they were addicted to a bad and extravagant superstition. That's holding fast to the faith with a clear conscience. While others endured and others left, it was no elder who held to the faith, but a servant made by Greek standards, but a queen by biblical ones. They endured. And then he says this, hereupon I have put off any further examinations and have recourse to you for the affair seems to be well worth consultation, especially on account of those number that are in danger. For there are many of every age, of every rank, and of both sexes who are now and hereafter likely to be called to account and to be in danger. For this superstition is spread like contagion, not only into the cities and towns, but into country villages also. The witness of the church is carried out in the servants of Christ. Right after deacons are potentially installed in Acts chapter 6, notice what happens right after. Verse 6, they set these before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. There were now in the church elders and servants, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests, those are Jewish priests, antithetical to Christianity, became obedient to the faith. What we are talking about is no mere pragmatism. It is the gift of God lived out in the kingdom by just being this outcropping of the church, a glimpse of the kingdom yet to come. We want to be a faithful church, a competent church in teaching and care because we want people to see, even if it comes at the extinguishness of our individual flame, the burning glory of Jesus Christ by having elders and deacons, by volunteering to care and serve as ordinary members, we are not trifling in merely what is expedient, but we labor for what is eternal. The mystery of godliness displayed, not only through what we confess and believe, but by what we treasure and how we behave. This is Christ at work in the church for the world to see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you give us hearts of lowly servant maids in the Roman kingdom. I pray that for each and every one of us today, whether we consider the office of deacon or not, we consider the wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That no mere superstition can stand up to history like the gospel because it is no superstition. It is the power of God And so, Lord Jesus, as the power saves us, may it sanctify us. May it make us into a church that treasures the ministry of the word and the ministry of the care of souls. 
May internally we look more like Jesus. May externally we care more like Jesus. For your glory and for the good of others. We pray this in your name. Amen.